You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Casey Weed, and this is the Earn and Invest Podcast. My retirement was completely unplanned, at least emotionally. Sure, I had done the financial work. I had trampled through retirement calculators and considered safe withdrawal rates and drawdown strategies. I made the same mistake as I presume many of you have or will. My planning started and stopped with money. As I've related many times here and in my book, Taking Stock, I had very little inkling of purpose. Because of this, retirement was a one-way road that suddenly ended in a steep cliff. If I wanted to move forward, I needed to learn how to fly. My guest today spends a lot of time helping his clients learn how to develop wings. He is a retirement expert, podcaster, and dare I say, philosopher. Casey Weed is the CEO and chief visionary of Howard Bailey Financial. He hosts the weekly Retire With Purpose radio and TV shows, which air across the Midwest, as well as the National Retire With Purpose podcast, aimed to help people maximize your financial confidence and overall financial well-being. He is a multi-time author with his latest book, Job Optional, reaching number one on the Amazon bestseller list in retirement planning and number five on the Wall Street Journal nonfiction ebook bestseller list. Casey has also been featured in national media outlets, including the Wall Street Journal, Fox Business, and CNBC. He's a firm believer in developing retirement plans that are driven by meaning and purpose. Casey Weed, welcome to Earn and Invest. Your brand is Retire With Purpose. Does purpose mean different things before and after retirement? Well, Doc, thanks for having me. It's good to see you again. And does it mean something different before and after retirement? I don't necessarily believe that that's the case. I think we often don't think about it until that moment in time. And then we have to go back throughout our lives and look at those through lines. What are those things that we've always had a sense of purpose around? And then how do we bring those things forward into that next phase of life? I get into this argument with people all the time. They tell me I need to retire first and relax and take a bunch of take a bunch of months and just be for a while. And then Mm. I'll think about purpose. How does that hit you? Because a lot of times I feel like we have to have a sense of purpose before we retire if we want to be successful. But I've gotten a lot of pushback on that idea. Well, I must say from my own personal experience, uh, I, I I think we need that to happen. That whole experience needs to happen prior to actually stepping into retirement at all. 
And for myself, I, I experienced retirement, luckily enough, experienced that very early in my life. And it wasn't necessarily by choice. Uh, our second son was born with a congenital defect uh, that was life it was potentially going to take his life and required us to relocate to find medical specialists. And I took six months off work and I said, well, I guess I'll just test out retirement at this point, because up to that point, you know, it had always been about that number. And I think it is for so many of us, if we're financially astute, we're listening to the Earn and Invest podcast, we're listening to the Retire with Purpose podcast, we're studying finance, we're reading about it. It largely becomes quite often about that number. I know for me, I took a very academic approach, you know, grew up around the investing world, got a degree in finance, picked up my certified financial planner designation and continued to study from an academic perspective. And it was always about the numbers and getting to that number was the number one priority. And I reached that number. And then I took this six-month hiatus and I said, now let me just shift my focus from building a company to focusing on my health and my family and the, my spirituality, those things that I thought I was supposed to do. You know, once you get the number, now you're supposed to shift focus to the non-financial aspects of life, these other aspects of life that are supposed to be more, more meaningful. And I discovered for myself very quickly that that wasn't good for me. I wasn't very happy. If I ever experienced depression, that was probably the time in my life where I experienced depression. And I thought, this is what so many of the families that I've helped get to retirement are actually going through. I've done them a disservice over the years. I've helped build a financial plan to get them to retirement. And then they're in retirement and maybe they shouldn't be. Maybe we should have had a conversation around purpose and meaning before they actually stepped into retirement and they wouldn't have felt this level of depression. You know, depression spikes, suicide spikes as people step into retirement because they never had the opportunity to experience it and really identify what that purpose is prior to making that transition. And I know for myself, I said, I have special gifts. I have unique abilities. I have ways that God has blessed me to give back to this world. And now what am I doing? I'm just throwing those things away. Now, what does it need to be about? It shouldn't be about money. It shouldn't be about things. It should no longer be about that number, your job optional. And that's when I see the true potential of so many individuals really get unlocked is then when they realize it's not about stepping into retirement and doing nothing or, or traveling or doing those things that maybe you never had the opportunity to do, but leveraging those God-given abilities to now continue to work quite often, but doing so in a capacity that is purely about your purpose, those things that bring you the most joy in life, which usually come back to one thing, you know, helping other people. I believe we all share in that same purpose. We all have the unique purpose of helping people, but we have our unique way of doing that as well. And I don't believe it's, I think it's very challenging for most people to identify that until they actually get to that point of financial independence. And I think you experienced that yourself, Doc. I definitely did. And, and you know, it, it brings up this important question for me of how early do we start talking and thinking about our retirement? 
it hits me that there were two things that happened to you fairly simultaneously that made you very thoughtful, maybe spun you into this depression, but allowed you to move forward and think about retirement and what you wanted out of life. One was that you were in a financial place where you thought that was viable, right? You had a, you had accumulated a certain number of money. There was a certain amount of safety where you could stop worrying about just putting food on the table and start thinking about, hmm, maybe I, I don't need to work. The second thing was dealing with your child's congenital issues. Mm. You were forced into thinking about these things at a very young age. How should yeah. it happen for our average person? Like for the average person who's not maybe under this duress and, and maybe isn't in that place financially where it's really a reality that they could think about stepping away from work either six months or forever for that matter. I mean, so often, I mean, don't we get this experience when we go on vacation? I, I know for myself, you know, if I go on a two-week vacation, it's about well, it's about 10 days too long, right? And if I go on a week vacation, it takes me about five days to unwind. And then I have a couple of days where I'm relaxed and then finally, okay, it's time to get back to work. I don't think we have to have complete financial independence in order to experience what retirement is like, but I do think it's incredibly valuable to begin to take some sabbaticals uh, on your way, or at least as you're getting closer to retirement, the most successful retirees that I see that are most successfully making that transition and are in a very positive and happy place in that next stage of life have experienced some level of intermittent retirement. They already have a feel for what it's going to be. And I think that's the great thing about the FIRE movement, right? I think a lot of individuals in that FIRE movement are even realizing it's not necessarily for them and that they're stepping into a place where they discover uh, more freedom. They're still continuing to work, but they have the opportunity to feel what it's like to go a week, two, three, four, five, six weeks without actually having to go to work. And that is a complete mind shift. Are we confounding this definition of what retirement is? Because it seems like to many people, retirement equals quote unquote, not working. Yet your mm -hmm. perfect example, you got to a point where you're like, I could retire or I am retired. I'm taking this time off to deal with family issues. Yet you chose to go back to work. Did that make you any less mm. retired? I mean, it's funny because we use this word, this retirement word, but I feel like there's a whole mindset thing going on. Absolutely. And, and what what should retirement be? I, I don't know that we should have this. I, I do agree. I mean, I, I, to a certain degree, uh, when it comes to retirement, a lot of individuals are almost against the word retirement, like it's a bad word. Oh, you retire, <laughs> you're dead. It's, it's oh, we should rewire retirement or call it rewirement or call it second act, whatever. I, I don't really care what it's called. And I don't think we should have a problem with it. There's plenty of individuals that I meet. I would say the vast majority of today's retirees, I think this is changing, but I think the vast majority of today's retirees that I do meet with, they really love retirement as it is in the traditional sense, but that's not for everyone. I think those that struggle the most tend to be the individuals that had the highest sense of purpose in their working lives. And in making that transition, it becomes somewhat of a crisis. And that is where I think it's evolving. We're not there. And I don't think we should ever retire retirement. There's going to be plenty of individuals out there that find much greater passions in not working. That's that's going to continue to persist. But there has to be a new avenue that I think is opening up for individuals that says, okay, I don't have to go to this traditional retirement. I can actually go to a 
a place that is, in my words, job optional, where I no longer have to work. And quite often when I find individuals get to that place, we get them to job optional. All of a sudden, they said they wanted to quit working, but they work even harder right? because <laughs> now they're not doing it for the money anymore. Now they're doing it because they love what they do every day. And that's really what life is all about at the end of the day is love what you do and do it all day long to the level that you want to do it at. And that is something that I, I think is shifting in the world. And I believe that future generations of retirees, we're going to see a greater and greater degree of individuals that are working in a job optional status. So not working because they have to, they're working because they love it, because they're adding value to the world, because they're helping people in their own unique way. I feel like traditionally people would strut into your office somewhere in their 50s when it was maybe culturally appropriate to start thinking about and talking about retirement. Mm. Are you getting a lot of people in their 20s and 30s, maybe earlier mid-career who are already using kind of like the big R word, starting to think about how to be job optional? There's they're having these thoughts, right? I mean, of course, you know, the average individuals that are walking in are coming in in their mid fifties. And I actually played golf with a couple of physicians a couple of years ago. And they said, what do you do? I said, well, we help people transition into retirement. And I said, really? So these are people you've worked with for a long time and now they're transitioning into retirement. You know, no, most of them haven't ever thought about it before. And now they're all of a sudden starting to think about how do I start to plan for retirement? You go, well, that doesn't make sense. And because these guys got it, right? I mean, they they had thought about this for a long time and not just built a financial plan, but had thought about purpose and meaning along the way. I've had young individuals, my sister-in-laws are a great example that both read my book, Job Optional, which I was really kind of surprised by. I mean, it's it's not necessarily a book that's been written for people that are 20 or 30 years old. But there is a lot of talk about purpose and meaning and understanding your values and then leveraging those things in order to create the the perfect life. And a lot of that comes down to also leveraging the right financial tools, having the right financial strategies. And they said it changed the way that they view their finances, you know, rather than just simply chasing that dollar and chasing that number, always keeping it top of mind. This is why I am saving these dollars. This is why I'm doing this job. And how can I continue to spend more and more of my time every year in the things that make me happiest and create the most value for others? How customizable is retirement? I mean, I think people, we want it to fit us the way we are. And yet we feel much more comfortable with something that sounds plug and play. It's like you take these steps and you get to this outcome. Um, we like to have specific plans for how we get where we want to go. Are most of the conversations you're having with your clients now very customized to who they are? And is that discomforting in a sense to people not to have a clear path ahead? Yeah. You know, I talked to Alex Murgia, a retirement researcher about this very topic, and they, they've done some wonderful work in the customization of retirement strategies. And he did share the same thing. He said, these are the kind of conversations that people should be having with a financial planner, but it's not happening. But I think this is the direction that the world is hopefully headed in. You know, what has it been traditionally? You come in, visit with a financial planner, they run a Monte Carlo simulation, plug it into a traditional maybe stock bond, index fund portfolio and say, hey, you got about a 90% chance success. That feel good to you? Okay, great. Let's move on. And that 
That I do believe is changing. And even Dr. Wade Fow, professor of retirement income, I, I think what's amazing about Wade Fow, Alex Merguia, uh, you know, the the, the, the group of guys, Bob French, you know, these guys, have, they, are, they are academics, right? They approach retirement income planning from an academic place. And if you read Wade Fow's research, I've had him as a professor, you know, he'll show you the most academic way, the best way to approach retirement given your unique situation. This is the most financially efficient way for you to plan. But that doesn't mean it's the way that you should plan, right? And that is what I actually had wrong for so many years, you know, approaching finance from an academic standpoint. I think that's the hardest part about bringing on new advisors that have come from other parts of the industry where they have used those types of approaches where I say, hey, I know that is technically the best approach. Give them that one. Now give them two to three more. And because it's not necessarily the academic approach that is going to be the best approach in your unique situation because you are a unique individual. It's called personal financial planning because it should be personal. And before we even get to the planning part, I mean, that's what's so often being missed by financial planners is, well, let's just build them a financial plan. That'll give them confidence and then they'll spend in retirement. What do we see? People have a perfect financial plan, all the financial confidence in the world, all the income they they could ever need, and they can't spend their retirement because it wasn't driven by some purpose to begin with. They didn't identify what their values are and let the values drive the financial plan. And once people connect the values to the financial strategy, the financial strategy actually works. It's actually effective at the end of the day. So we've created the values. We've walked through several different strategies in every circumstance because we want to find the one that's right for you. Going back to retirement researcher, you know, Wade Faust shows that, well, the the best, uh, most efficient approach for retirement income planning is guaranteed income with the rest going to equities. Well, he doesn't use that for himself. You know, He subscribes to a risk graph approach. And I believe Alex Merguia is a fan of the total return approach. You have Bob French, who is a fan of the time segmentation approach. And these are academics. So you cannot say that there is one perfect strategy that everybody should use because it is so much more personal. And it's and that's not easy, right? We don't like to hear that. Like, like you said, you know, what do we want? We want to go in and know that there's one perfect answer and that's the one I should use. And that's the easy way out. That's the easy way out for the advisor. That's the easy way out for you. And that's not going to add the level of value you should be receiving from working with a financial planner or building a plan for yourself. Part of the problem with human beings is sometimes we don't even know what we want until we experience it. And I've seen you make the point that we should be test driving our retirement. How do we do that? Like, how do we put ourselves in those shoes and feel what it feels like before we actually make the jump and retire? Yeah. Well, it's it's hard not to go back to the sabbatical, right? It's it's really hard not to go back to the sabbatical because, and that is, I, Dean Nawalny at the Halftime Institute had some great research on that and and talked about how we do this, how important it is to take these sabbaticals. And today's employers are becoming much more uh, comfortable with these types of things. And there's many more opportunities, great bridges to retirements and and have sabbaticals because what are we finding? I am finding that the best people that I have the opportunity to recruit quite often are in the 50 plus age group. And the, what, what I've found is unique in them is I, a couple that are, are chief uh, officers uh, that I've been interviewing and, and hired, 
These are people that have made a lot of money in the past and they've ran companies and they are, they don't want to do that anymore. They don't want to be in corporate America. They understand passion. They understand purpose. They understand the value of loving what you do. And I don't know that you, you get that opportunity very often in, uh, in the business world until you know, today. I, I think that is definitely changing. And there's no question the best thing that you can do is run some sort of sabbatical for yourself. Even if that's intermittent, taking a few more weeks off a year than you typically would, those are the types of experiences where you wake up and you don't have anything on your calendar anymore that are going to give you the feel of what it's actually going to be like. One of the great absurdities, I think, of the linear progression from occupation to retirement is often when we are at those retirement ages, we actually have the most knowledge and the most to give and the most to return in the workplace. Yeah. So it, it's almost right. It's kind of absurd because a lot of people can actually then return to the workplace, uh, use their knowledge and experience and really feel mm. like they're affecting the people they're working with them yeah. and maybe doing some of their best, most fulfilling work. Yeah, the level of clarity you have around your value at that stage in the game is just invaluable to a company as a resource. And I think employers are seeing that. Now, before we get too mushy, we are talking about retirement. This <laughs> is the Earn and Invest podcast. So we like things like pillars. Uh, so you talk about the four mm. necessary pillars to a stable retirement. Mm. What are they and why are they important? Yeah. So we call our framework and it is, it is a framework because it, you know, I think the problem with financial plan is that I get a plan. I can move on now. Yeah, I'm never going to revisit this again. Reality is life changes. And so do you over time. And so when we look at our framework, that starts with purpose. We identify what that purpose is. It ends with meaning, but sandwiched there in the middle is your financial life plan as we like to refer to that, driven by purpose, designed to elevate meaning in your life. And that is where we find those pillars. Again, it's a framework because we we are going to evolve and the plan has to evolve as well. And so when we look at those financial pillars, you know, I think what I've noticed over the years and the reason we really wanted to take a deep dive into creating this proprietary framework was that so many individuals are just running around from thing to thing throughout their financial life. And Picking up, oh, I picked up this, you know, the guy at the golf course told me to buy the stocks. So I went out and purchased this stock on TD Ameritrade. And then my you know, son started working for a whole life company. So I bought a whole life insurance policy. And then I went to a dinner seminar and picked up this annuity. And we just end up with all this stuff. And that that stuff leads to confusion and it leads to uh, just challenges in our life in general. And if we, if instead we can follow a systematic process of identifying each one of the major risks that we face in our financial life and address them systematically, then we won't have this confusion. We won't have this overwhelm. We won't have this wonder, do we have all of our bases covered? Uh, are we going to be okay? It looks like we're hitting a debt ceiling. Are we going to be okay? And well, inflation's at 8%. Do we have a plan for inflation? Looks like taxes are probably going to double in the next few years. Do we have a plan for taxes going up in the future? And those are the types of questions that happen if you don't systematically follow a strategy like the life plan. And so when I created the life plan, I looked back in my financial life and said, how did I get here? You know, How did I get to financial independence? And I just uncovered this 
this framework that I had used in my financial life that I really didn't recognize kind of happened by default. I said, well, this is great. Why don't we just use what I used and then really recreate this for individuals so that they can follow that same path and create that same level of independence, certainty, and confidence for themselves. And it is very much priority-based, right? It starts with liquidity. We need to have liquidity to make sure that we're going to be prepared for emergencies that arise throughout our entire lives. So do we have the liquidity to know we're prepared for those emergencies that'll happen throughout retirement? Then we have to focus on income because if we don't have income, we don't have retirement. So we have to create an income strategy that delivers us the confidence that we can spend. And then number three, we have F, that is flexibility. And originally, this was investment. Uh, it, it really was just an investment pillar with an I. And I said, you know, I like acronyms. So we need to make it an F. So, so it's life. But at the same time, what do investments provide us with? You know, traditional investment portfolios provide us with flexibility to adapt to the unknown future that faces us uh, throughout our lives. One of those things being unknown could be inflation. Yeah. And people will say, well, inflation is, that's, that's, we know what's going to happen. We need to be prepared for inflation. Well, not if you pay attention to some of the research by Dr. David Blanchett, the head of retirement researcher at Morningstar, and some of the research that, that he's done shows us that well, that may not be true for your average retiree, but we don't know. You know what, what if we're wrong? So we need to have the right inflation-protected assets and the right investment portfolio to allow us to continue to have that flexibility to adapt over time. And once we've taken care of the liquidity piece, income to last a lifetime, flexibility to adapt, then we want to take care of what's left over. That's the E, and that's estate planning, to have the confidence to know that what you have today will pass on to your loved ones according to your wishes once you're gone. And you think about estate planning, most just think of those wills, power attorneys, trust documents, and all those legal things. It's really more than that. You know, if you don't do a good job disinheriting major medical providers and Uncle Sam, they can be your biggest beneficiary. So I like to include our medical plan, our long-term care strategies, our healthcare strategies, as well as our tax strategy in that estate piece. But really, this tax piece runs throughout your entire life. And you'll see that on our wall in our office, that there's this dotted line that runs all the way out through life, that life plan. And those dots are tax planning because it needs to show up in your liquidity bucket to reduce ongoing 1099s, needs to show up in your income bucket to maximize the amount you're actually taking home at the end of the day. It needs to show up in your flexibility bucket to maximize those after-tax returns and in your estate bucket to maximize what's left behind for your heirs. So once we've covered all those things, and now you have this financial life plan that's covered all of those different bases, I don't find too many people that go, well, I don't, I think we missed something, right? <laughs> and no, now we've covered every major identifiable risk that you're going to face throughout your financial life. And that is what I think is so often missed. We just jump from, well, I'm concerned about long-term care right now. I'm concerned about the market right now. I'm concerned about inflation right now. No, let's not jump around. Let, let's just focus on it on a priority-based uh, follow a priority-based strategy, do it systematically so that you know all your bases are covered. And then, then we can go back and focus on our purpose and elevate meaning in our life. We are talking to Casey Weed. He is the CEO and chief visionary of Howard Bailey Financial. And we are discussing moving from purpose to meaning in your life with retirement planning smack dab in the middle. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. 
This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R. USA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenues, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash earn. That is linkedin.com slash E-A-R-N for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash earn and get started. We are talking with Casey Weed. He is the CEO and Chief Visionary of Howard Bailey Financial. He hosts the weekly Retire with Purpose radio and TV shows. And his latest book is Job Optional, which reached number one on the Amazon bestseller list in retirement planning and number five on the Wall Street Journal nonfiction ebook bestseller list. Casey, we've been talking about moving from purpose to meaning and retirement planning in the middle. Let's talk about what being retired looks like today. It used to be that people got retired and they kind of quit work cold turkey, right? They never mm. were employed again. They never made money again. What does it look like today? I mean, are a lot more people mm. working in their retirement? Oh, there, I mean, the statistics show it, right? There's many more individuals that are actually working in retirement. But I think it's not that they're just working, right? They're not just working at the local golf course. They're not just working at the grocery store. They're not just doing some of the things that I saw my grandparents do, uh, at least not on the weed side. So on the other side, my grandfather was 93 when he retired and passed away. I mean, he worked until the very end doing the things that he loved in the world of education. And I think that's what we're seeing more of today. We're seeing more that are having some of these all right, little wooey conversations like this and, <laughs> and really thinking a little deeper about meaning and purpose in our lives, what it means to be alive, what it means to add value to the world. And that's what we want to do. You know, we want to create value in this world. And I, I think that's just a conversation that we're getting more comfortable having as, as a society. And that means that we're getting much more, we're creating much more clarity around what we want the next phase of our life to look like once we've reached financial independence. Is there such thing as failure when it comes to retirement planning? And if so, what does that look like? What do you see? 
there's definitely failure when it comes to retirement planning and we can definitely get it wrong. Right. And, but there's two different sides of that. I mean, one, I think, what, what do we usually jump to? We go, well, there's financial failure, right? I put everything in stock options and thought that I'd be okay the rest of my life. And then poof, it's gone. And well, retirement failed, right? (laughs) Yeah. But, but that is something that everybody is, I think, fairly aware of. Maybe they don't all completely understand the rest. Maybe they haven't constructed the best financial strategy, whatever it is. you know. But yeah, we're very aware of the financial risks as we step into retirement. This is why there's a whole field of individuals like myself that do retirement income planning. You know? But then there's this other piece, which is retirement failure on the non-financial side. And that is a... a, a a risk today that I, I think is starting to get mitigated, but it, it it's still one that is bigger simply because the conversation isn't the norm in working with a financial planner or a financial advisory firm. That conversation about what are you actually going to do doesn't happen because you come in and you say, hey, I want to retire at 65 and I'm 62. What do they do? They put a plan together for you to retire at 65 because that's what you asked for, right? And that's not what they should hear, right? The first question should be, why do you want to retire? And that is not typically the question that is asked. So what ends up happening is you put so many individuals that are adding so much tremendous value in the world that have so much value to give, as you said earlier, at a stage in their life where they have a massive accumulation of experience and knowledge and wisdom that is invaluable to not just the next generation, but I mean the global economy needs that today. And if we can identify those areas that bring you passion, that drive value for others, then we can embed that in your retirement versus stepping into retirement, not knowing what we're doing. And I can't tell you how many individuals that I've ran into that have stepped into retirement and not just passed away, but turned it. Alcoholism is one of the leading causes uh, of depression and and anxiety and uh, and death in retirement. You know, it's alcoholism is a massive spike. We see the consumption of uh, television, news media, and all of these things lead to failure. Failure in that we're not enjoying our lives and and really creating a life of meaning and purpose. We might've had a sense of purpose in our working lives. We step into retirement just because our neighbor stepped into retirement and we were supposed to, because that's a societal norm. And before you know it, we're in a place that we didn't want to be. You know, my grandfather on my weed side was right in line with that, stepped into retirement, probably put on 150 pounds and, and ended up passing away not too long into retirement, 78 years old, passed away. And I I guarantee you, if he had stayed in his working life, doing the things that he was great at, he probably would have lived another 10 years. So when we're talking about this dichotomy, right, this issue of failing because of purpose versus failing because of money or a technical failure in your finances. It sounds like at least for the group of people you work with, you're much more likely to run out of purpose than you are to run out of money. I sure hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is, Otherwise you're not doing your job very well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I really hope, I really hope that that's the case, but I, I hope we don't run out of either one. <laughs> Given that purpose should be driving that financial plan. I, I really hope that 
we've created enough focus on both aspects that uh, individuals are really uh, in a place where they have an unlimited amount of fuel in the tank because the financial plan is ultimately driven by purpose, which we should never run on E. So I kind of learned about personal finance through the lens of financial independence, retire earlier, the fire movement, and you contemplated and took a sabbatical and thought about retirement in your 20s. Both of us were fairly young. And I'm wondering if the early retirement movement has changed the game at all. Like, is this advice different for someone who's contemplating these issues in their 50s and 60s versus someone who's contemplating these issues in their late 20s or early 30s? Well, it wasn't for me. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think it's any different. And again, I, retirement is uniquely you, so it it doesn't have to be any one way. It can be whatever you want it to be, and that can be if you're 20 or 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80. You know, it all comes down to the same thing, and that is purpose is where you find meaning in life and enjoyment in life, and what makes you happiest. You know, that's what we should be focusing on, regardless of the stage of life that we find ourselves in. We've been talking about the resiliency of your retirement plan, especially when it comes to purpose. Let's look at the other side. I mean, especially, and if we bring in this conversation about planning younger, right, maybe trying to build that life of purpose Mm. and, and changing your work life balance to really fit that at a younger age and thinking about quote unquote retirement, uh, before you hit the traditional age, what do we do about the unknown? I mean, a lot of people start their planning, they get a date, they get something in mind, and then they get laid off. We saw a lot of that with the pandemic and the associated mm. recession, or they have a health scare, or God forbid, something like disability. How do we plan for the unknown while we're thinking about things like purpose and trying to get mm. those pillars ready? Yeah, I, I must say, I, I think that the unknown is surprisingly planable in a large part. I mean, all the things that you mentioned there, we can plan for a lot of those different elements of our life. I, we just tend not to, right? We, we tend to ignore the things that we don't want to focus on, be it disability, right? I mean, how dis, I mean, you're, you're a physician, you know, the disability issues that, that physicians face. So disability, death, long-term care. Yeah. And I mean, even uh, house fires or general liability insurance there. I'm just, I'm a huge proponent of insurance. I mean, when my insurance agent probably absolutely loves me because I call (laughs) and say, Hey, can I get any more insurance? Yeah. (laughs) Because I, I just love the confidence to know that I'm always going to be insulated against a lot of those unknowns that at least are identifiable again, more identifiable than we typically think they are. You know, I, I think a lot of that just comes because maybe we watch too much news and we get a little overwhelmed. We think, oh my gosh, the world's going to fall down and we're all going to cryptocurrency and you know, and we can kind of spiral out of control. But really, again, it's planning for the unknowns is not a whole lot different than planning for the known unknowns for from uh, a retirement perspective and focusing on each one of those different pillars. So I think first off, we have, yes, should we be planning for those different items that are insurable? Absolutely. And then I think about how do we plan to do this? Our financial framework, yes, is it designed largely for individuals stepping into retirement? Absolutely. But I've done a lot of thought uh, about how that shows up in my own financial life. I think there were times I go, am I really adhering to the philosophy? Because I have a different type of philosophy about creating financial independence than I see in a lot of areas. I was speaking at a, a summit 
And they had myself speaking at the summit and another uh, expert speaking at the summit. And we had two polarizing philosophies, right? He was all about passive income, which it just seems that has run rampant these days. Everybody's talking about passive income, create as much passive income as you possibly can. And I'm going, I don't want passive income. Why would I want to generate a bunch of income that I have to pay taxes on that I'm not spending? Because because I'm going to continue to work. So I'm going to continue to save. So why would I want to continue to generate additional income? What did Warren Buffett say? Never spend money on money that you're not spending. Probably my favorite Warren Buffett quote of all time. And that seems to get kind of looked over by a lot of the passive income gurus that, okay, well, generate enough passive income, then you don't have to work anymore. I go, yeah, but I'm going to continue to work. So that seems like a problem right, that I just <laughs> created for myself. So when we look at all of these different risks and these unknowns, I follow the same framework. You know, I mean, it's the same thing as Dave Ramsey says with some tweaks, right? So number one, liquidity. So yeah, set yourself up with your emergency fund. That's standard. And then we can start funding what I consider leg one of income. I think we all need a leg one of income, but most of us don't start planning for leg one of income until we're maybe five years out from retirement, stepping into retirement. And what do I mean by that? It's the same work that Michael Kitzes has done and some of these great retirement researchers saying, you need to have a safe bucket, right? Maybe that's one year of guaranteed income, two years, five years, 10 years. I prefer a 10-year leg. Yeah, 10-year legs just give me a lot of confidence, especially as I look back throughout what's happened in history in the stock market, go, yeah, I want a 10-year guaranteed income. And that's a lot to ask for your average American and young individual, right? So, and that's not always right. We had Burt Malkiel on the podcast and, you know, for him, he's 78 or no, he's, well, he's, 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 he was older. Okay. <laughs> and he's in RMD age and he's taking required minimum distributions and he only keeps, I think it was 12 or 24 months of, you know, safe cash available to satisfy his distributions. That wouldn't be enough for me, you know, but that might be enough for a young individual. So we have maybe three to six months of emergency expenses funded. And then maybe for you, it's a five-year leg of income. It's invested, but you gave up some liquidity and you're getting a decent rate of return to keep up with inflation. And now for me, I know, hey, Casey, I've, I have all the liquidity I need to satisfy a year, two years worth of expenses and take advantage of opportunities. I have income. If I lose my job tomorrow, lose my business, can't create income, I have 10 years worth of income taken care of. And then I can allocate everything else to that flexibility bucket, to equities, to allow to continue to grow, by the time I drain that 10-year bucket, I'm going to be able to replenish it with my equity bucket and continue to balance those things out, of course, over that 10-year window. But I don't, th- I don't see too many young people doing that. I think that creates a lot of anxiety you know, in their financial lives because everything's going into their 401k. They've become bogleheads. They've put everything into S&P 500 index funds with, hey, I don't have a problem with Low cost index funds by by any means. We use those all the time, but not for the money I might need next year or the year after. You know, retirees that we'll meet with have a high level of anxiety quite often because they have everything in the market and they need us to restructure that plan so that not everything is in the market and at risk and subject to those fluctuations. I don't think it's that much different for someone that's 35 or 40 years old. You know, those individuals still have anxiety, even though they don't need the money today, because they might need the money today. All of our lives are unpredictable, our financial lives, whether you're an entrepreneur, 
whether you're a physician or an attorney or work in a factory, whatever it is that you do, there is a degree of risk to that. And we we often understate that. I think business owners probably understate the level of risk that they're taking on more than anyone else. We are good if we're thoughtful about managing risk. You're talking about that 10-year bucket and certainly the emergency fund, which for people can run six months to a two-year bucket. Uh, and then insurance to cover those other things, right? That mm. are risks that sometimes we can't deal with. The one that I think dangles out there that we still struggle with is long-term care. I mean, have we solved the long-term care problem? Long-term care insurance used to be affordable, right? At when mm -hmm. it when it first became something that was in the public eye, and it's become more and more unaffordable over time. Mm -hmm. To me, I see, especially to young people, that's a, a big risk that that they don't necessarily know how to mitigate very well because insurance tends to be somewhat costly. Yes, I, it, but I, I think we also think about the problem wrong at the same time um, because the problems may be solved in the wrong way for the wrong person. Um, we might look at the cost of long-term care and how's it pitched, right? It's, hey, it's going to cost you $10,000 a month and you know, who knows how long you could be in there. There's two of you. So we need to have this long-term care strategy. It's going to cover all $10,000 a month with a 3% inflation rider. Well, that's going to be incredibly expensive. When you end up in a, if you end up in a facility and let's say that you had income of $10,000 a month, when you went into that facility, now do you still need income of $10,000 a month if you're in the facility? No, right? I mean, your expenses just went down significantly in a, in a great deal uh, in, in really the, 90% of the areas of your life. And then they skyrocketed another. And so let's say that the difference is, okay, you're still going to have social security coming in, pension coming in, investment income coming in. Now we need to guard against the alpha of that. Maybe that's having three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000 a month in extra coverage. It's like one, we kind of get the coverage equation wrong mm -hmm. and we, we, we overestimate what we're actually going to need when we step into that point because we forget about one, all those extra sources of income that we will no longer need once we're in a facility. And then we kind of forget what long-term care insurance is for. And so my, my, I think my dad's a good example of this. Um, he used to live in this uh, neat home down in Nashville, North Carolina, and he'd wake up, we'd talk every morning. And you know, I remember one morning he said, Casey, yeah, the view's beautiful. Love it here. Someday this is going to be yours. And I said, no, it's not. Not unless we have to sell it to pay for the long-term care facility. And he said, well, if that happens, you know, just walk me off of a, a bridge and give me a gun. And I said, well, that's not going to happen, dad. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. And so did he buy long-term care insurance? No, he didn't buy long-term care insurance. I did, you know, but I didn't buy traditional long-term care insurance. You know, I, I purchased a life insurance policy on him because who's going, if, if he ends up in a nursing facility, he's single and he has plenty of assets. He could live in the Taj Mahal of nursing facilities and live there as long as he wanted to be there. You know, who's that hurt at the end of the day? He leaves less money behind to me. So who should be paying for the long-term care coverage? Well, the person that's actually going to hurt and not him. So I purchased a life insurance policy on him that we can use for long-term care. So we can accelerate the death benefit to cover his needs. Same thing's true for myself. You know, a significant portion of my income goes to cash value life insurance policies as a savings vehicle. 
for that first leg of income needs and liquidity. So I, I didn't go there immediately, right? I filled up that emergency bucket, HSAs, 529s, Roth 401ks, you know, max out those buckets. And then you know, I use a significant portion of my annual savings to go to cash value life. Now that's there to, it's going to be available for me to create tax-free income down the road when I'm ready for that. However, in the meantime, there's a death benefit there that my family needs. And I can use that death benefit while I'm living if I were to need long-term care. And so many young individuals overlook the risk of them needing long-term care today. Yeah, there are individuals, I've seen 45-year-olds that have needed long-term care. And they don't, th- what do you hear? Well, don't look at long-term care insurance until you're 55, 60 years old. Well, what happens if you're 54 and you need long-term care? What happens if you're 45 and need long-term care? Those things can happen. We can become incapacitated. And I want to have some coverage for that. So many individuals out there have life insurance policies because they wanted to protect their family. And by just adding a rider or just using a different insurance company with the same benefits that they had before, that insurance company allows them to accelerate the death benefit while they're alive. And instead of going out and buying a big long-term care policy, here we go. You you might already have long-term care. You just didn't know it. You had it in the wrong bucket. You might just need to shift it from one pocket to the next. And now you have a half a million, a million dollars in long-term care coverage that you didn't know you had before. So I guess bottom line is there's a lot of different ways to think about long-term care, but we need to think about it. We need to make sure we understand what the real cost is going to be and then look at the avenues that we have to cover for it, which are all traditional long-term care insurance. So things can get complicated. And I know I'm going to get a biased view here because I'm talking to someone who is a financial advisor. This is what you do for a living. You help and coach people through these decisions. But there's a large group of people listening to this podcast and out there in the world who really feel like this is something they should and can do by themselves. Mm. How technically complicated is good retirement planning? I mean, Mm. can this be done by themselves? No, they need to work with Howard Bailey Financial, Casey (laughs) Weed. No, that's it. There's, there's, it's, it's binary. There are no either, other options. You either do that or you fail, right? <laughs> no. I, so I have, um, we just had this conversation. I had it with one of our financial advisors here this afternoon. And we talked through, you know, how do you, how do you answer this question, especially when you have a young individual that comes in? So there's a lot of people we meet with that don't need a financial planner. They don't need us. And a lot of them are younger or they haven't accumulated enough assets yet, or they just don't have the challenges uh, that maybe other individuals might face. So why hire a financial planner? Vast majority of people don't need a financial planner, right? I mean, on the way to retirement, what's the goal? Accumulate as much assets as you possibly can. Uh, You're trying to accumulate so that someday you have financial independence. What's the best way to do that? Invest in equities, keep your costs low, right? And and it's not that complicated. You, know, you set up your savings accounts, you figure out how much you're going to save and you save that amount and as much as you can every year. And you keep your investment costs low. You try to be as tax efficient as possible, investing in tax advantaged accounts. And beyond that, that's pretty simple, right? You don't need a financial planner to come in and, and charge you 1% a year to help you invest in index funds. You could do that through a robo-advisor for maybe 10 bips a year, right? You know, that that's not why we have financial advisors. I mean, fun, that's the way it was. That's the way it was in the 80s, 90s, maybe the, even you know, the early, early 2000s. I think that's evolved just due to technology and the availability of information today. 
That's just not the need anymore. Now, I want a financial advisor myself. I work with a financial advisor, but why do I work with a financial advisor? Why would someone that's coming in that's 30, 40, 50, 60 years old work with a financial advisor? Well, someone that is in that retirement stage, they're no longer worried about growth at all costs. They're not trying to accumulate as much as they possibly can. Now, the focus is on preservation and distribution. How can I create an income that'll last the rest of my life? And how do I minimize my taxes along the way? Ensure those assets pass on to my heirs and maximize those assets for the next generation. Those are different questions than growth at all costs. Now we're talking about Medicare. Now we're talking about long-term care. Now we're talking about Roth conversions. Now we're talking about big social security decisions, pension maximization, optimization. That becomes more complex. Now, it's not that some people can't handle that on their own. Absolutely. There are some individuals that can handle that on their own that we work with and they say, I just want you guys as a backup. You know, what if something happens to me? I want you to be able to step into my shoes and take over the work that I was doing previously. So those are the types of individuals that need that help. And those individuals can be younger. You know, they can be 20, 30, 40 years old. They may have so much income and so much in the way of assets that they need help with business structure, advanced you know, corporate structures. They need help with advanced tax strategies. You know, that's where the work of a financial advisor creates alpha. And an advisor isn't going to create alpha in the way of generating more return than you're finding in the stock market, right? That That's not the reason to work with a financial advisor so they can make you an extra 1% or 2% a year. Just go out and buy a Vanguard Total Stock Market Index Fund and keep your costs low and dollar cost average. You'll be okay. But someday, there may become a day when your goals change, you accumulate more assets, have more income, and now your focus becomes about preservation, distribution, protection against risk that you didn't have previously. Casey, look into the tea leaves and tell us, are there any unique roadblocks you think coming up? in the next decade for people in the midst of retirement planning? Anything new or any stressors you think that are different than what people faced in the last 10, 20 years? Oh, I am just not. I I can do the the headline grabbing stuff, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I guess that's what people want. Put, put I, it all in crypto? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's just... Are there risks? Yes, there's always been risks. And there, and there's there's going to continue to be major risks. And I I think we have to be careful of grabbing or getting ahead of ourselves and maybe getting a little over our skis as we think too in depth about what could be in the future. You know, could there be things that dramatically change the landscape of retirement planning, investment planning, tax planning? Absolutely. You know, this is why we have a framework to make decisions upon today that we can continue to leverage and adapt to the changes that will come our way. You know, what are those changes? I I think most um most most obviously, we're going to see Medicare changes. Uh, we'll change. I, th- I think we'll see major changes to our healthcare system as a whole. You know, whether that's Medicare, whether that's long-term care, whether that's the exchanges. I think that will be major shifts that we're going to see down the road. We're going to see major currency changes in the world. There's going to be an evolution in the world of currency. Does that mean we go all the, you know? Bitcoin today? Absolutely not. You know, but but these are the types of things we keep an eye on. We think about the changes that are going to happen in healthcare. We think about the changes that are going to happen with 
global currency structures and financial systems. And you know, I, I think we also, more than anything, especially it depends where you're at, right? If you're 65, 75 years old, what's your biggest risk uh, that maybe you haven't taken care of yet? Maybe you've taken care of healthcare. Maybe you've taken care of inflation. But you know, have you considered the risk of rising taxes in the future? That's the only one that we can sit here and say, with 100% certainty, taxes are going to be higher in the future. Because in 2026, the Trump tax cuts retire, and we're going to see taxes increase across the board by about 20%. That's a significant increase that we already know is on the horizon, and we can start planning for today. And we've had U.S. Comptroller General of the United States, uh, previous U.S. Comptroller General of the United States, David Walker, on the podcast, uh, Power of Zero expert, David McKnight. I mean, all of these individuals have given us different ideas of what taxes might do in the future. McKnight saying they could double uh, by the time we get to 2026, 2028. David Walker saying they're probably going to increase by about 50%. And so that's 20%, another you know, 10. So maybe 30%, 40% by the time we get into the mid to late 2020s. And so we, we have a lot of reason to believe taxes will be significantly higher in the future. Why not start planning for those things today? So those would be my big three. Well, Casey, I wanted to thank you for coming on the show today. As I think about our conversation, what I really take from it is this idea that we want to move from purpose towards meaning. And instead of looking at retirement planning traditionally as maybe a roadblock, we have to start seeing it as the conduit that it truly is. And it sounds like that's what you incorporate into your form of financial advice. I wanted to end this episode the way and every episode by asking you what is up next in your life and where people can reach out to you. First and foremost, what's coming up for Casey Weed? What is changing at work on the podcast in life? Yeah, well, the kids continue to get older. So our youngest is a two-year-old little girl. And uh, well, her getting older just continues to scare the death out of me. She just went to school this uh, this week. So uh, that is definitely where my mind is at home, is on the kids and especially uh, that little girl, because it is different. The, the girls are different than the boys. And from uh, you know a, a business perspective, I think we have some really cool things uh, on on the horizon as we continue to develop our framework into a digital format uh, that individuals can interact with online. They can uh, be they can go online, they can pay a fee and develop their own financial plan uh, use, utilizing our framework that can systematize itself. This is going to be so cool. I think this is really going to change. I, I think this is a big change that is on the horizon in the world of retirement planning, where today, you know, if you want a lot of those tools, if you want to have long-term care, life insurance, Medicare, annuities, those types of vehicles, you do have to go through a broker. I think those things are going to get more systematized as we take our framework online, allow individuals to interact with the framework, create their own financial plan, and then purchase those products directly themselves without having to interact with a financial advisor, financial salesperson, that's going to dramatically reduce their expenses and make the ease of setting up a retirement plan that much easier. Taking that and saying, well, would you rather implement it all yourself, purchase products from us, have us manage it, or actually work one-on-one -on -one with a financial planner? I think those are going to be the things that really get me excited and the things that are going to make a big difference in the lives of the individuals that are out there today. So life, business, and then I suppose uh, the opportunity to meet with some of the individuals that are listening in today by 
starting by just giving away our book. And that is, I wanted to give away job optional to the listeners as our gift here at Howard Bailey to them. We'll send out a digital copy of my Wall Street Journal bestselling book to them by simply texting over uh, the keyword earn to 866-482-9559. And we will send you out a free copy of the book. So those are the things that are on my mind right now, Doc. Casey Weed, that is very generous of you. Again, the book is job optional and we'd love you to get a copy of it. Thank you, Casey, for coming on the show. Can't wait to see you again, my friend. That's a wrap. Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. So I have to be honest with you. My talk with Casey Weed has made me think a lot about my retirement and specifically my sense of purpose. First and foremost, you may ask, am I retired? And that's a great question. I left my job practicing full-time medicine in 2018, but I continued doing hospice work and some work with some nurse practitioner companies. And now I'm a full-time podcaster and writer. Am I working? Am I retired? And does this have anything to do with making money? I have to tell you, and I'm going to be real honest here, my goal in my activities today is not necessarily to make money. So while I do make money doing my hospice work and some of my medical work that I do very part-time, I really don't try to monetize podcasting or writing to any real extent. So you guys hear advertisements on the podcast. I have the mastermind group Wealth With Purpose. That all creates about enough revenue to pretty much cover the costs of running the podcasts. But if you think about it, I spend 20 to 30 hours a week, maybe what you would call work, doing this work, but I don't really do it for money. So in a sense, I guess I am retired on the other hand, I still have some revenue and I still do the hospice activities and I still make some money there. So I guess I'm kind of not retired. More importantly than the label is to really try to figure out, am I living a life of purpose? Am I doing the kinds of quote unquote work that is fulfilling to me the kind of ways I want to be spending my time? And the answer is undoubtedly yes. Podcasting is probably one of the things that I love most, along with writing and public speaking, and I spend an inordinate amount of time doing this. I mean, between the creating the podcast, doing the interviews, doing the social media, putting the website together, etc., it ends up being a good chunk of my week. So you may ask why I do it, and I would answer because I love it, because I like being in front of the mic because I like creating these conversations, because I think they have real value. But that really just touches the surface of why I do this. If I dig deeper and deeper, the real why I do this, or maybe the why I do anything, is other people. I mean, creating and making a podcast has given me such an excuse to be part of other people's lives, to talk to other people, to invite them on my show, to give them compliments, to intertwine my lives with theirs. And I think of this really in two main ways. One is the guests. 
So by having your own podcast, you give people the compliment of inviting them to be on your show. And ultimately, hopefully, you make friends with a lot of these people, these experts, these book writers, these business people. Over the years, they've become my friends, and they're the people who I create content with, the people I share experiences with, I go to conferences with. Ultimately, this has become my community of creators that nourishes me. And if you can think about what do you want retirement to look like, for me, it's being around creative people who I connect with, who I feel like I've built a community with. That's the first part. And then the other part of the why the people that I interact with is all of you, those who are listening to this podcast If I can interview someone who brings you value, who changes your life, who sets you on a different path, in a sense that binds me to you. We are connected. Maybe on one level I sound like a disjointed voice that you listen to in your earbuds while you're taking a walk or exercising, but ultimately we are all connected And it may feel like a one-way conversation, but it's not. Maybe not you specifically, but I get emails from people. I have conversations about the podcast. I meet listeners when I go to conferences and places like that. And so I very much feel like we all are having a conversation, even if you and I are not talking specifically. And so my conversation with Casey today really made me think about these things. What does purpose look like in my life And it certainly has become this show, Earn and Invest, writing, public speaking, having this conversation with not only my guests, but with the listeners, building community, feeling like I'm a part of something, moving from me to us. I can't think of a better way to spend my quote unquote retirement. And I can't wait to spend the next hopefully 30 or 40 years doing just this. Thank you for being on the ride with me. Awesome. I leave things rolling just for a few minutes as we chat afterwards as part of the after show. Um, thanks. Cool. It was a great conversation. I, I I really think we continuously have to redefine retirement. And I think this really has become a golden age of looking at it much more as a continuance or even a beginning as opposed to an ending, which I think it traditionally was looked at. And mm. I certainly... You know, for me, again, the conduit was the FIRE movement, which got me kind of interested in this idea of retirement at an early age. Uh, but we're really talking about just building a good life earlier on yeah. in in your life, regardless of how much or how little you're working, again, quote unquote working. Um, but yeah. I, this lifestyle design idea, I like how you've really integrated it into retirement or what we traditionally called retirement, but now it's something completely different. Yeah, and really having the opportunity to just throughout our lives focus a little bit more on purpose and meaning, uh, and that that's really what we should be doing. And realizing, you know, from our standpoints, that you know, money should be leveraged to create even more meaning in life, and that's what we lose touch with. Right? And I, I think we're going to see more retirement coaches, life coaches, getting embedded with the financial planner, right? And that that's having a conversation with uh, a 
a, a, a coach um, Thursday this week uh, regarding integrating him into our process where now you actually have someone that is a professional life coach, worked with people all over the world that's going to interact with you on the front end to help really truly get super crystal clear. Because a lot of financial advisors just aren't comfortable having that conversation, but working with someone that's comfortable having that conversation, delivering that to the financial advisor from to create some talking points. And then on the back end, you have a series of coaching meetings that can be, hey, you have an introductory meeting for once that is free or you can hire this coach through us at a discounted rate and they can work with you for six months, 12 months. I think more of that is going to become mainstream. It's not quite there. I, I, I think still, I, I found a lot of this, a lot of the individuals that are coming in are going, what's a life coach? What's a retirement coach? Purpose? You're asking me about purpose right now? Yeah, it's still a little wooey, I think, but it's, it's definitely, and I think hopefully becoming more mainstream to have deeper, more meaningful conversations with your financial professional. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. Tech moves fast, so keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts.